Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of The Porch Church. We hope today's message blesses you and encourages you in your spiritual journey. If you have questions, visit us on the web, www.theporchchurch.tv. Uh, we'll be back with our online friends now. Hey, welcome back online. So glad that you're here. You missed the most important part of the message. So, um, yeah, you'll catch up, though. So I wanted to say a quick thank you. Last week, some people hung out, and we uh, decked the halls for Christmas, as you can see. And uh, somehow my office was included in that, which made for a little bit of a difficult work week uh, because the wreath... <laughs> literally blocked my computer, the Christmas lights. I couldn't close my door because I was going to break Christmas lights. It was great. But special thank you to all of those of you who stuck around, helped us deck the halls. If you didn't stick around to deck the halls, uh, you're in charge of taking it down later. So that's how this works. You've got to be on one side or the other. I also just wanted to celebrate last Friday, we had our family fun night. Uh, So Santa was here and we had families from the church and CCLC, our learning center and the community come. We had over 200 people here uh, to celebrate. Christmas. Santa told us some stories. We sung some, sung some songs, and, uh, and it was lots of fun. So I hope you were able to join us. If not, I hope you'll catch us the next time around for Family Fun Night, right? All of that to say that it's Christmas, right? We sung Christmas songs this morning, and it's kind of this time of the year, right, where everything kind of shifts, right, especially in church world. We kind of go through the same patterns and habits and rhythms every single year, right? The story doesn't doesn't change much, right? Are you with me? Like, Jesus, nothing new happens in the Christmas story, right? Jesus comes, he's born, we celebrate all of those pieces, but there's, there's just kind of something about the moment, right? About the Christmas tree with the lights, about seeing the songs that we love to sing, but they only come out at this time of the year, right? There's just something kind of special, almost nostalgic and reminiscent about Christmas, right? Not to mention that Christmas is a great time to figure out which of your neighbors go to church or not, right? If you're driving down your street and you see Christmas lights, that's an open door for me, right? I'm like, hey, I didn't know you were a Christian, Frank, but I see the Rudolph, I see the lights. Where are you going to church Christmas Eve? Oh, well, we uh, blah, blah. Oh, that's great. Here's an invitation. Come on and join me, right? Christmas lights are like this wide open doorway. Uh, Maybe you guys aren't nosy like I am, but for me, that's what I see, right? I see if you're willing to store and hang up and put up Christmas lights and decorations, um, then uh, by golly, you should come with us Christmas Eve because that's what's going on here. But Christmas really is this time kind of where, where people are more open, at least, to the stuff that church represents. They're more open to have these spiritual conversations. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the meaning and the purpose behind Christmas. We're going to talk about what's important, what's significant, what's special, um, but really, I I just want us to focus on one thing today, and uh, we're going to talk about the most important part of Christmas, and y'all know you're in church, right? So let's get that out of the way, right? What's the most important part of Christmas? Good job. You all get the gold star in your crown. Congratulations. Jesus is very happy with you. Now, as we saw in the video, what's the real thing that most kids, most even adults and parents, most people in the world look forward to at Christmas time? Presents, right? Presents under the tree. What am I getting out of this? Yes, we go to church. Yes, we believe Jesus is important. Not trying to undermine that. We're going to talk about that more as we go throughout this series. But really, Christmas has become synonymous with gifts, right? With getting presents, with the stuff under the tree. Just a quick Google search for you here, right? The average American will spend $700 this year projected on Christmas gifts. If you're not quite to 700, my family's available. We'd love to help you close the gap. Um, 
2017, $719 billion spent on Christmas shopping. And this year they did a survey, 72% say they're looking to buy from Amazon, right? So if you're looking for a way to invest, Amazon's the way to go. Which means that while we say Christmas is about Jesus, right, well, we all in this room can agree, that's why we're here, it's why church is an important part of our celebration, we can also feel that at some point Christmas has become about more than simply the Christian celebration of Christmas, right? Are you with me on that? We know that this thing is bigger. It's why our neighbors have Christmas lights up but have no plans to attend a church service, right? So get ready. I'm going to have a guilt-ridden message that's going to make you want to return all the presents under your tree, and uh, that's where we're going. I'm not going to do that. That's not the point, right? That's not where we're going, but can we at least acknowledge that there's a tension here, right? That there's this reality that Jesus comes to save us from our sin. He comes to liberate us from greed and from the things that make us focus on ourselves. And in the celebration of his coming, the holiday, Christmas, has become warped. It's become about something different than just his coming and just his birth. There's something that's happening with Christmas that I think we just need to address. And so the question that that I've really been wrestling with, right, is has it become more of a cultural practice to celebrate Christmas than a Christian one? I.e., is it more just kind of in the water now as being a place in and around us versus being a distinctly Christian opportunity, Christian holiday, right? So I've been asking this question. We're going to answer this throughout our series, right? It's on all of our graphics, right? But what is Christmas for, right? What's it about? What's its purpose? What are we trying to accomplish as we celebrate that? And in the midst of that, the question for us today is simply this. Can we be Christians and celebrate Christmas? I thought that'd be funnier than you all did, but that's okay. I'm fine up here. I'm just going to talk, and you all can participate if you want to. Can we be Christians? Can we be Christ followers? Can we say that we follow this Jesus who came to be born to save us from ourselves, to pursue God more than anything? Can we be devoted to Jesus while at the same time participating in this $719 billion shopping season? Can we be Christians and celebrate Christmas, right? On the surface level, you would say, of course, right? There's not even a distinction there. Of course, we can celebrate Christmas. But I really think there's something deeper at the heart of this, something that's been lost. And in our pursuit of chasing after gifts, and what do I get so-and-so, and am I giving them enough, and they gave me more, and so I have to give them back more, and how many gift cards does it take to make everybody happy? In the midst of that season, there's a bit of the actual Jesus story, a bit of the actual first Christmas that's lost. It's swept under the rug. It's somewhat forgotten about. And so I've just been wrestling with that question. Can we be Christians and celebrate Christmas? Because there's so many New Testament teachings about where we spend our time and where we put our efforts and energy. There's so much talk about how money can lead us astray. And then when we look at the extravagance that exists at Christmas, we ought to pause. We ought to say, are we in line with what Jesus came to do? Or have we found ourselves getting swept up in a tide that's pulling us in a direction opposite of Jesus? And so as much as I want to curb the tension in the air and relieve you of the pressure to know whether or not you could open presents under the tree, I'm not going to do that. Um, 
I want us to kind of sit in this for just a second, because quite frankly, this is a hard question for all of us. I don't know about you, but my presents are already wrapped and under the tree, which means that if I get convicted today, um, I'm going to have to open all the presents, and I already tore up the Amazon boxes, so I don't quite know how it returns. Maybe I'll just walk it to Park Meadows and like walk into the Amazon store there and say, hey, take this stuff back. But I don't think that there's really a way to undo this. So how do we wrestle with this tension of what Christmas has become versus how it first started? As we answer that, let's tell a story here. We're going to open our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible and you'd like to borrow one, I'd encourage you just to slip your hands up. Our ushers are walking around with Bibles. That story's on page 482. 482 if you're using one of these worship center Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, you can just keep this. It's our gift to you. And of course, all of our scriptures will also be up on the screen. But today I want to talk a little bit about Mary, right? She's a hallmark of the Christmas story. Mother the Mary, Mother the Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus, right? The one who bore him, raised him. Let's see what insight she might have on how we celebrate Christmas. We're going to jump in at a familiar part of the story, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Let's pause there. Who's Elizabeth? I thought we were talking about Mary, right? Do you remember the story? Elizabeth is Mary's relative is the actual word that it uses. We don't know if that means aunt or cousin or what relationship she had, but we know that they're relatives, that they're family. Elizabeth wasn't supposed to be able to have kids. She was beyond childbearing years. They didn't have any kids yet. And so the fact that she is in her sixth month that she's expecting is a miracle in and of itself. In the first part of Luke, he tells that story story about Elizabeth and Zechariah, and we're going to actually get to that later in the holiday season here. But Elizabeth is pregnant, and this is a miracle, and Mary, being her relative, is going to have a part to play in this story. And their sons, we find out, are going to be intertwined because Elizabeth is pregnant with who would become John the Baptist, right? Jesus's cousin, and they have a story to tell throughout the early years of Jesus. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth. Elizabeth's pregnancy, this is orienting us into the story, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary, right? So Mary kind of enters the scene here. Now, the, the wording here is a bit misleading because it says she's pledged to be married, which in your mind, probably in my mind, we go, well, she's engaged, right? She's promised this is going to happen, but has not yet happened. In Jewish culture at the time, being married, having a marriage, there was two equal components. One was this proposal, and then the second was the ceremony. You might say, well, it's like engagement and married, but it was actually different. At this point, Mary is actually considered betrothed, off the market. She she is, except for a technicality, married. And so when we tell this story, recognize that Mary is already in that place. And so Mary, who is pledged to be married, already engaged to be married, already partaking in the first steps of marriage, she finds herself with this angelic announcement, right? The angel comes and announces that she's going to bear the Son of God, that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon her, and she has a little bit of a crisis, right? We've heard this part of the story before, that it wasn't okay 
It wasn't culturally acceptable for her to be found with child. As a matter of fact, the penalty for that would have been death, would have been stoning. She would have been killed for her breaking of the marriage vows. So what's a first century girl to do when an angel tells her that she'll bear the Son of God? Well, she does what maybe you would do. She goes to her sister's. She goes to her aunt's house. She goes to a relative's house. She's going to get out of her normal situation, and she's going to go and help out and spend time somewhere where she might be able to be a little bit more conspicuous or inconspicuous. She might be able to hide a little bit more. What else is interesting is that there's two real stories of Jesus' birth in the Gospels. There's Matthew, who kind of looks at it through the lens of Joseph, the father, because he's writing to a Jewish audience, and so he kind of traces what happens with Joseph there. And then there's Luke, who's the physician the doctor, and he seems to be more preoccupied with this miraculous pregnancy that Mary is having. And so Luke tells us a lot about Mary. In the midst of this, we don't quite know how these stories come together, right? We know that the angel visits Mary, right? That she has the proclamation, that's all good. We know that the the angel visits Joseph and he has a vision and that's all good. But the timeline gets a little bit fuzzy, right? We don't quite know when these things happen. In Luke's gospel, it's as if the angel comes to her And then Mary leaves before talking to Joseph, before that conversation happens, before Joseph has in mind to divorce her quietly. It's like Mary was planning to go help Elizabeth, to go be a part of that birth. And in the midst of that, she gets Jesus dropped in her lap and she just skirts town before Joseph finds out which gives a little bit more credence to Joseph kind of finding out maybe three, four months later, right, Mary's been gone at her aunt's house and then comes back and there is something that is visibly different about her. Are you with me? And he has in mind to divorce her quietly, right? Because she's been off in the hills doing something that she's not supposed to be doing. And then this angel comes to visit him as well. The story is very, very interesting. So Joseph moves along through this process. And we're going to talk about Joseph later, not today. Today we're talking about Mary. And so not to be a Grinch, but we're going to fast forward uh, through the angelic announcement. We'll hit that on Christmas Eve. And let's jump into verse 39 here. At that time, this is right after the angelic proclamation, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Talk about a whirlwind day for Mary, right? Let's say an angel visits you, tells you you're going to bear the Messiah and that you're going to bring in about the Savior of the world. And so you freak out kind of and go to your sister, your aunt's, your cousin's house thinking you're going to lay low for a little bit, thinking you'll have some free time to process this. And the second you walk through the door, Elizabeth just knows. The Holy Spirit reveals it to her, right? John in her womb leaps at the sound of Mary's voice. All of a sudden there's no hiding. It's just out there. And Elizabeth's response is this Holy Spirit-filled blessing. It's a praise for Mary, a gratefulness for being involved. And that's really the first clue as to what Christmas is for, what Christmas is all about. We'll build on this for the rest of the message today, but Jesus' coming is fundamentally a blessing. 
Jesus' coming is fundamentally a blessing. That might be the understatement of the Christmas holiday, right? But we're going to start somewhere simple, that even for Mary, even in the situation that she finds herself in, even when her aunt could have perhaps judged her for finding herself in this situation, no, instead Jesus' conception from the very beginning is viewed as a blessing. It's welcomed. It's a gift. It is something to be received, That's why we exchange gifts, because as we tell the Jesus story, as we recognize what's happening in and throughout and around Christmas, we find ourselves so blessed, so full of what God has given us, that the only response that we have is to pour out that blessing onto others. This is why the tradition of sharing and exchanging gifts happens. Because of our identity in Christ, we then give gifts to others because we've been given such a great gift. Mary and Elizabeth illustrate for us that part Part of what Christmas is for, and forgive my grammar, but part of what Christmas is for is for getting. It's for receiving. It's for getting stuff. It's to be recipients of what God gives. That makes us the getters, the recipients. It makes us the kids under the tree who are ecstatic about the presents or that dude with the PS4, right? That guy was happy. I hope I'm that, that happy at Christmas Eve. But Christmas is fundamentally about what we get. What we get in Jesus, what he brings to us, what he lays out before us, the gift that comes to us from God inside this baby Jesus. In Emmanuel, in God with us, what we inherit, what we gain from following him and from being involved in his kingdom. The story of Christmas is fundamentally about a God who gave. Right, who gave his only begotten son to make a way where there was no way to forgive us of sins, to allow a path to eternal life. Jesus comes as a blessing and we receive that full heartedly. The first message of Christmas is that Christmas must first be received. It must be accepted. It must be taken in. It is a gift that we get. And too often in the midst of the holiday, especially in church world, right, we leverage guilt on people for the extravagance of gifts and the things that happen. And and I'm here to tell you that according to the scriptures, what we get at Christmas is the most important part of the Christmas message. We get Jesus. And granted, that is more impressive than the presence under the tree. That's more meaningful than the gifts that we exchange. But we do that as a mirror for what Jesus gave, and we cannot lose that in this season, right? Elizabeth testifies to this in her blessing, and so does Mary, who's so overcome in this moment that the Holy Spirit inspires her as well. And she sings a song of praise and blessing. Maybe you're familiar with it. It's called the Magnificat, or Mary's song, because the first word in Latin is this magnify word, this glorify word. We're going to walk through her song and see some of the gifts that we get and that we gain in Jesus. Here's what Mary would share with us. Verse 46. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. I think the first thing that we see in Mary's song is this opportunity to be grateful. 
She's grateful for this tremendous blessing that she's received, right? She uses this, this beautiful language to describe it. My soul magnifies, glorifies the Lord. I can't contain it. I'm so blessed that I have to pour it out. My spirit rejoices in God. Why? Because he's remembered me. He hasn't forgotten about me. He's blessed me in such an incredible way, right? And not only has Mary been blessed and venerated for thousands of years, but but the gift that we receive in Jesus ought to cause us to be grateful. Because listen, if Christmas isn't about what we get, what we receive, then we would have no need to be grateful. If Christmas wasn't about receiving a gift, if Christmas wasn't about what we get, then there'd be no reason to be grateful. It would just be a transaction. Jesus came, he died, done, rubber stamp it, we're going to heaven, end of story. But it's not that. Mary says, I'm so overwhelmed by the gift of Jesus that I'm grateful to God. Mary's gratefulness, her profound awe at what's happening to her, is evidence that Christmas is at its heart about the gift that we receive. Now let's go through what this gift is. A couple of quick things from this song. Because Mary has been blessed, that means that we have been also. Let's look at the next verse. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary understands that in this gift of Jesus is the gift of mercy. Sometimes getting a gift is about what we receive, right? It's about the presence under the trees. Sometimes the gift comes in not getting what we deserve. Ever gotten out of a speeding ticket? Don't raise your hand. You don't have to do that. You can. I saw one person go for it. You can raise your hand loud and proud. That's fine. Getting out of a speeding ticket, right? This is the gift of mercy, right? You did not get what you deserved, and you are thankful for that as well. A couple hundred bucks that you can save, insurance that you can save. Um, that's the gift of mercy. Have you ever gotten out of jury duty and thanked God, right? We can all go there, say, thank God. That didn't happen. Sometimes mercy not getting what we actually deserve is the gift. And in Jesus, we receive the gift of mercy. Psalm 103 verse 10 says it this way, that he, God, does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. As we go through the Gospels, we see in Romans 3.23 that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and that in 6.23, the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God in Jesus, the gift that we receive at Christmas in Jesus' coming is that we don't get what we deserve. We get life with Jesus. Christmas is about receiving God's mercy for us, that through Jesus we receive what we don't deserve. We get mercy in Jesus, and that is a gift, right? The gratefulness of Mary points to the fact that it's a gift. The first piece of that gift that we see in her song is mercy, and the second thing that she addresses is this idea of power, but not power in perhaps the way that she or even we would interpret it, but a power that Jesus displays for us. Verse 51, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. 
All right, Mary now recognizes that she carries within her the very perspective, the very voice, the very presence and essence of God. And as she reflects on carrying the Messiah, she's reminded of the stories that her people have told about how God delivered them, how he saved them, how they were going down the wrong path, but then God intervened. And so as she reflects on this blessing of God, on this Messiah that she now carries, she reflects also on the power that lies therein. Notice that her statements are past tense, reflecting back to what God has done. But as we read these statements, we can also read them as prophetic in a way, that she's predicting the way, in fact, that Jesus would behave, right? Mighty deeds with his arm. Well, in the past, this may have meant God's military might and power. We see in Jesus the different mighty deeds that he does. He has compassion for people. He holds children closely. He reaches out and through his power doesn't destroy, but instead touches the leper. He heals the blind. The reality is that the mighty power displayed in Jesus looks different from what Mary or anyone else anticipated from what they handled. But when he flexes his divine muscles, it's not to intimidate or to raise a sword or to push back people. Instead, his might comes out in love love and compassion and tenderness and care. His power never attacks, it never leads an army, it never fights for itself, but it does bring down rulers. Starting with Herod, it continues into the Roman Empire, it topples Caesar, and of course spiritually, his power topples over the thrones of the ruler of this world as Jesus conquered sin and death. And in Jesus, we receive this gift of power. We receive this gift of God's working on our behalf. It's ours in Jesus. Not one of brute strength, but one of tenderness and compassion. One of standing in the gap and ministering to people just as Jesus did. Jesus is the blessing. He's the gift that we're grateful for. And that looks like mercy and it looks like power. Next that we can identify in this, we're going to use the word provision. Provision, that Jesus is the provider for us He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. This is continuing in Mary's song. She recognizes that those who are needy, those who are hungry, those who come to God are in fact satisfied. And Jesus represents that that destination. The people who want Jesus, who want his healing, who want his full presence, they find it and receive it in him. By contrary, the rich, those people who do not need help, those people who don't need what God offers, those people who scoff at how Jesus interacts with people, she says they go away empty. This is the spiritual economy that is present in Jesus, right? This is why riches and material possessions are so often used as a mirror to the soul in the scripture. Not because they're bad in and of themselves, but they reflect the position of the human heart where when we no longer believe, or where we no longer need God, how then will we act? When we're no longer dependent, when we're no longer hungry, when we're no longer needy for God to give us our next meal, our next sustaining, when we're no longer counting on God to provide for us, what is the position of our heart? Because when we can buy our own gifts, often we don't need the gift that God gives us. We're self-sufficient. We can provide for ourselves. Mary reminds us that in Jesus we are given the gift of provision. 
that the knowledge that he will provide for our every needs, that we are all invited to come, to bring to Jesus the wants that we have, our needs, our hunger, our poverty, the two pennies that we rub together, our gifts, our talents, our abilities, meager as they may be, and ask him to provide, to give us the next step in our lives. When we no longer depend on God, when we make enough money, when we're healthy enough, when the crisis has been averted, when things are smooth, those are the most trying times for our faith. Our faith is precarious because when we need God, it's easy and obvious to depend on him. It's obvious to see the need that we have and to go, God, you're my only hope. I have nothing else but you. But as provision comes from other sources, we find ourselves going, we'd be okay if we had to be. That's when we miss times and opportunities. We find ourselves weeks, months, years, decades, lifetimes later going, I wonder when we stepped off course. I wonder when we stepped away from God. And the answer might be when you stop seeing the gift of provision that God has for you in Jesus. In the gift of Jesus, we see mercy and power and provision. The last one that we'll talk about today is promise. Fulfilled promises, verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Right? Faithfulness might be a better word for this, um, but pastors love alliteration, and so I went with a P one. That's why it's there. That's okay. I can laugh. You can laugh later. 4,000 years of promises, right? The Jewish people have been waiting for God to send a deliverer. When Moses was their leader, God said, hey, I'm going to send you another leader who's like Moses, who won't just deliver you from earthly oppression, but he will set you free spiritually. The Jewish people had been waiting and watching. Prophets have been foretelling. They've been waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. And Mary, in her song, and recognizing the gift that Jesus is in his provision and his power and his mercy, recognizes that this is God fulfilling his promise. Not only his individual promise to her of what's going to happen and how it's going to be, not only the promise for her people, the Jewish people, the kingdom of Israel, for him to uphold the promises that he made to Abraham and all of his descendants, but the fact that Jesus is good news and is a blessing for the world. Mary recognizes that God is fulfilling his promise to bring back all of his creation, all of his children to him in Jesus. And so here we are at Christmas, right? It's a holiday obsessed with giving gifts and having needs met and we're wrapped up in the spending and the shopping and the 4 a.m. lines for Black Friday deals and all of this leads me back to our question. So can you be a Christian? Can you be a Christ follower and celebrate Christmas in the kind and in the like of what Christmas has become in our society? Here's my answer to you. We'll see if you agree. Can we celebrate Christmas? You better believe it. Because what we get at Christmas is the best gift that's ever been given. What we receive in Jesus is the greatest part of what this Christmas story means. And while we'll talk about how Christmas is forgiving and how it's what we give to others and how God gave to us, but Christmas starts with us receiving. 
It starts with us recognizing the gift and the blessing of who Jesus is, us being grateful for that gift, and then recognizing, unwrapping, opening, living in the gift that is Jesus, the mercy that we receive from God, the power that we have to go through this life free from sin, to live in accordance with his principles and his promises, that he can provide for us, that he can meet us in our time of need, and that he is faithful, and that we can trust in him. Can Christians celebrate Christmas? You better believe it. We better be the loudest, most positive, encouraging voice for what it means to be Christmas. We better give the best gifts. We better throw the best parties. Listen, not because it's about the gifts and the parties. This is where we get off course. But because we recognize the gift in Jesus and therefore we celebrate extravagantly because of all that we've received in him. This still is a Christian holiday. It still is fundamentally about Jesus. Don't let the school system in winter break tell you that it's not. The reality is that Christmas is about Christ. And it always has been and it always will be. And as participants in this place, we ought to be the championing voice for what Christmas looks like. So give gifts, bless others, but first receive the gift of Jesus. Find yourself in that place. And as we tell the story about what it means to be a Christian, what Christmas means to us, include the celebration of gifts, include the tree, include Santa and the reindeer, but make sure that your story starts with your gratefulness for Jesus. That your story starts with a recognition of how none of this matters if it weren't for the gift that God gave you at Christmas. The gift of life, the gift of redemption, the gift of forgiveness for our sins, the gift of reconciliation and a promise for a hope and a future. We can celebrate Christmas and we ought to. And it's ours to have in Jesus because he is the first giver. Therefore, we receive and we give others. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me and just pray quickly. I don't know if there's one particular piece of that that stuck on to you. I don't know if there was something that as you thought about you recognized that perhaps Christmas has become more about the traditions and the families and other things and has become less about Jesus. And you just need to take a moment now to ask for God's fullness, to start to recognize, to say, I'm, Christ is first at Christmas, to rededicate, to reconsider your commitment to Jesus in this moment. Maybe for you it's the opportunity that you have to receive the gift of Jesus in a new capacity. Maybe you need his mercy or the reminder of his provision or the faithfulness of his promises. Whatever it is, I would encourage you that don't go through Christmas without first reconciling and receiving the gift of Jesus. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is what we do because of Jesus. But your opportunity here and now is to start Christmas right by putting Jesus first, being grateful for all he's given you by asking him to provide in those areas and finding yourself in relationship with him. Christmas is about Christ and it always will be. And we've been given the best present ever in Jesus. Heavenly Father, would you encourage us this week? Would you challenge us with this message? And as we worship you now, would you draw close to us? Would you speak your power, your promise, your mercy into our lives? And would we be grateful to you? All God's kids said, 